Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about what a Fed pivot means, especially for those in housing. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here. And let me tell you, that was a lot of fun uh, yesterday with the uh, debate on the housing bubble. That was fantastic. We had such a big turnout. We're going to do it hopefully again in about six months because you guys both gave your forecast for what you thought was going to happen. So, you know, as a recap for those who didn't hear it, it was Logan and we had Mohanad Ama, who's the managing director of Beam Capital Management, um, who was sort of arguing for the fact that, yes, we are seeing a housing bubble. And of course, you guys, if you're listeners of this show, you know that Logan does not share that opinion. And uh, it was a really great, I, I thought it was a very substantive debate and that we got some really good things out of it. Yes. You know, they always say a fisherman sees another fisherman far away. A data person always sees another data person uh, far away because, you know, when people actually bring data and models and how you look at things, uh, it can really separate people's work of what they kind of believe in. And that's good because traditionally the housing bubble boys are usually anti-central bank people who troll the internet for since they were kids and we're going to do this until death. But uh, it's good to see somebody actually bring in uh, uh, something that is actually worth debating about. So I had so much fun. It was a really fun debate and people can watch it. They can, I think it'll be on demand. Um, They can go to housing wire and look up, you know, are we in a housing bubble for the debate Uh, under events? They should be able to still see it on demand. So that was great today. We have lots to talk about. So we're recording this early because of course this is the week of Thanksgiving and this is going to go live on the Monday after Thanksgiving, but we have plenty to talk about. And our topic today is really that the housing recession, the fed and, and what we mean about a pivot. So let's start there because uh, you did. You recently did a Spaces, a Twitter Spaces, with some Wall Street people, and they were like, "Well, what do you what do you mean when you say pivot? What does that mean to you?" So let me ask you that question. Yes, I, I had so much fun yesterday. I'm like a kid in Christmas. Uh, I had 90 minute Spaces with the uh, uh, active manager and economist for WisdomTree.com, uh, which is a managing portfolio Wall Street firm. So we went over all kind of the economic lingo about economic expansions, recessions, what what's going on with housing. Uh, uh, in a lot of details, but one one question that I was getting uh, after that is what what do I mean with a Fed pivot? Because when they asked me when do I think the Federal Reserve will change their narrative, uh, it goes back to uh, you know the America's back recovery model on April seventh, twenty twenty. Then when the recovery happened, that job openings will get to ten million, and there was a substantial conversation about the, how the labor market dynamics are different, and that's actually what the Federal Reserve is using uh, uh, for their aggressive rate hikes. And also the data lines to show that household balance sheets uh, are, are so much better now than what we've done from 2000 to 2008. And, and, and what I try to tell the Wall Street people is that I believe everyone is using credit risk models that would have worked from 1995 to 2010. Uh, because of the 2005 bankruptcy reform laws and the QM mortgage laws, the entire landscape of the U.S. economy changed on the consumer debt side. So the Fed is using those two things. So uh, for me, it, it's it's very simple. 
Um, because the demographic profiles of this country have changed, its job openings were going to get to 10 million. Uh, we're near 11 million here. You're going to have to use jobless claims uh, uh, for this. At this point, since all six of my recession red flags are up, jobless claims are breaking above 323,000 on a four-week moving average from where we are now actually would mean that the labor market has turned negative. And then the Federal Reserve's comments, right? The pivots, the pivot stage doesn't mean they're going to cut rates right there. Then the, when the labor market tur turns, they have their own kind of uh, uh, talking points and that is gone. And then they go from being a single mandate Fed, which I've talked about, all they care about is you know uh, destroying inflation uh, at every cost possible to, okay, we're back to our dual mandate. Then you're going to see so much pressure on the Federal Reserve at that point. So that's a really great point, because if I'm in housing, I'm like, what I want to see is rates coming down or, or some change on rates, or at least rates not going up again. So when you talk about that, so the, there's pressure on them at that point with the pivot where they see the fact that, you know, that that employment number breaks, does that mean they just pause? They, did they stop raising rates? What does that mean? Well, traditionally, the bond market will actually start to lower bond yields at that point, right? Uh, um, and, you know, when we had, when the 10-year yield went back down to 2.5% and mortgage rates went from 6 and a quarter to 5%, our main talkie point here at Housing Wire from the start of the year is that this is a tug of war between the bond market mortgage rates, the Federal Reserve, and the economy. Again, if you are an 8 to 10% mortgage rate person, you can't be a recession person at the same time, right? Bond market will kind of get ahead of that. Or we're back to 1975, which, you know, uh, bond yields and rates went up even in recessionary period. Here, the Federal Reserve, to me, is they're trying to buy enough time to keep financial conditions as tight as possible, to inflict as much pain on American citizens as possible, to break down the U.S. economy so people lose their jobs. They've talked about this for a very long time. Uh, their own forecasts, like a lot of people were, were kind of making fun of the Federal Reserve in the spaces. They said the, all, all these Fed people are saying, we don't see a recession coming. We don't see it. We don't know. We don't. Literally, their forecast for next year is a recession uh, because the only thing that's left before categorizing uh, a recessionary data is the unemployment rate rising, right? And they've got a 4.4% unemployment rate. We're at 3.5%. The whole America's Back Recovery model, the presentation to the Economic Council, the conference board was like, okay, when this happens, technically it's a traditional post-World War II recession. So the economy, the economic data stayed firm. Household balance sheets are firm. The labor market is firm. Job openings are high. But this turn in the labor market, the bond yields should fall. And again, if the Federal Reserve wants snap of a finger, they'll say, oh, we're getting back in the mortgage back security. The spreads will fall, right? And what I saw when rates got to 5%, we didn't have it for a very long time. It stabilized the market. And now that you're working from very low levels of sales, right? You know, purchase application data has had two weeks of positive uh, 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 weekly data. And that's just rates going from 7.375 to 6.65, right? Uh, you get duration of rates at 5%, it stabilizes the market. That's the first thing you want. You want to stop the bleeding at that point. If I'm seeing that occur, there has to be people that work in the Federal Reserve 
that also have their own data people that said, okay, you know, we will push it to as much as we can, but we realize that the, the real estate uh, part of the economy is, is big. We're already six months into the uh, uh, housing recession. That point, they can actually change their language. The bond yields can actually go lower. They don't necessarily even need to cut rates at that point because you can have the um, mortgage rates and bond yields uh, go down even with uh, no Fed rate hike. That would be the pivot. You see the language turn uh, and the market actually gets a whiff of that. See, what the Federal Reserve is, they're talking to bond traders in Wall Street, right? So they just don't want stocks to rally and the bond market to go lower. That's why they literally were panicking when the 10-year yield went back down to uh, uh, um, 2.5% and we had 5% mortgage rates. They they don't want the housing market to get out of its recession. So I think at that point, uh, the bond market gets ahead. And if they needed to be more accommodative, they could say, okay, well, we're going to you know start to get back in the mortgage-backed security. And that spread falls that means you you can have 2% decreases in mortgage rates at that point and not have the 10-year yield go anywhere close to where we had uh, during the COVID-19 recovery. And then, and then again, to me, 5% isn't the 25 to 3.5% that they were worried about happening. The Federal Reserve is very clear on this. They hated the fact that contingencies were being removed from purchases. And this is why I try to highlight this, that if the NAR wants to be a very useful institution for forward lookings, you need to tell agents that was not a very good thing, that the policies of the government actually were targeting that. Uh, the bidding wars is one thing that's, you know, demands, uh, supplies low. But the, the fact that the Federal Reserve and Chairman Powell was using that removing contingencies was a savagely unhealthy uh, part of the housing market uh, going out in the future. If you don't want an aggressive Fed, right? Uh, if you don't want the Fed targeting a housing reset, uh, uh, that that whole episode uh, needs a good review, right? Uh, uh, and again, for somebody who was team higher rates, somebody who literally threw the towel in February of 2020. This was the worst housing market I've seen post 2010. Uh, they saw exactly what I saw in one month after the savagely unhealthy market theme. They came with the Fed reset, so. These things will be the pivot at that point. Again, that's why I use the 323,000 uh, uh, jobless claims number. And then that process will take a whole different stage after that. And we will we'll talk about that then. But that's what I mean with the Fed pivot, because they're thinking, OK, 5% will actually stabilize something we don't have to have. And and again, I I, I try to explain this, you know, during, you know, kind of the housing bubble discussion, we already have purchase application data is below 2008 levels. Adjusting to population, it's at the lowest levels ever recorded in history. Existing home sales currently are trending to levels that we saw in 2007, right? What the Federal Reserve sees, what I see is that household balance sheets are so different. Back then, right, total inventory levels were about 4 million. Right, because we had a lot of distress, a lot of credit stress in the system. We had active forced sellers that were never going to be buyers, right? Different marketplace now, right? So the Fed has time to fight inflation. And we already see some of the data lines are coming down on inflation growth rate, especially for shelter inflation. 2023 can be different in that regard. So you have to think forward looking with the pivot, the, the change of the marketplace. Then after that, if things get worse, 
as Chairman Powell said, yeah, we have room to cut rates, you know, uh, because they, they become a dual mandate fed. If people are losing their jobs. They're getting in there, right? Uh, I don't believe that they're going to be a single mandate fed when the job loss recession have They will not survive that after all this, you know, pressure already about them crashing the economy, which they're not crashing. I mean, we have to, we have to realize the Federal Reserve uh, on their record has the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. Inflation was tame in the 21st century in, in that regard in terms of uh, core CPI and PCE. So they, they have a good record here. COVID-19 was an anomaly data. It messed up a lot of things, but we had the fastest recovery ever as well, man. Employment is what people want. People want to be working and getting some kind of income. So they become a dual mandate fed at that point. I think it's a really good distinction that you made that like the market, just if they do the pivot and and start talking about how things are different and they see those uh, the unemployment, they don't even have to start lowering rates before rates could go lower, right? The, the, the bond market would make that decision for them. Yeah. the bond, I mean, if, if you're seeing the growth rate of inflation data already slowing in some of the data lines, we see this in used car prices. We see this in the price of Shanghai uh, ports, uh, uh, pricing to LA. Uh, shelter inflation is always is already cooled down. And one of the things I, I brought up with the Wall Street people, I said, if people like looked at it, the growth rate of in- inflation of rent actually peaked in 2021. Uh, it was 2022 that we're seeing the slowdown already. It's just the CPI data is not designed for a pandemic short-term burst and then come back. So uh, uh, I told them, everybody goes, looks at apartment lists, you know, those data lines, it, the peak was in 2021. We're already slowing down. It's just CPI. And they want to know when, when I, when I thought that the CPI would reflect that, I said, basically it really be October of 2023, uh, cause it has a serious lag, uh, uh, versus other data lines. So I think the federal, I, mean, I think I, I believe they understand this because I've seen some of the fed members talk about how shelter inflation lags, but the information is so out there that it's going to be obvious to everyone else. And this is why data people use live data lines because things that lag. And this goes back to 2020, summer 2020, when, you know, we talked about, hey, listen, shelter inflation is about to take off. Cities aren't dying, right? It looks low right now, but it's already taking off. This goes back to the summer of 2020 with home prices. Uh, home prices are lagging. They're really taking off right now, by the way. Inventory is really low. Rental vacancies are low. This is not a good thing, but... Uh, it works the other way as well. And in the history of economics, you don't have this wild data, bullwhip effect up and down, up and down. And and uh, I highlighted that if you look at shelter inflation post-World War II, it never went negative year over year outside of a very brief few months after the housing crash in 2010. This is rent inflation or shelter inflation. Here you have the bullwhip effect that can actually bring it down to negative uh, uh, on some of the other data lines. So over time, things will get back to normal. We're just not there yet. We're at the other phase uh, uh, of the COVID-19 recovery, and we had very massive vertical charts, and some of those charts are already collapsing back down. In time, things will work itself. We get back to normal, right? And then uh, it'll be a little bit more stable on the data lines for people to see. One of the questions I wanted to ask you about as a follow-up to the um, to the debate yesterday was on home prices. So one of the things about uh, a housing crash is that home prices would have to go back to, uh, you know, before a bubble, right? If, if we're going to have a bubble, then if it's popped, then you have to go back to what it was. And so we talked about, well, what is the price that we're looking for it to go back to? In your opinion, because this, you know, so say rates go down, if, if, 
home prices are still so high, affordability is still hit, right? So I'm, you know, when you we think back to normal, we think like the affordability is such that the combination of home prices and rates is something that more people can afford. So in your opinion, how much are home prices going to change in 2023? Here's the, when I come with my forecast at the end of uh, December, there's going to be a price growth a rate model tied to what we're seeing currently. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why I never believe the housing bubble boys, because none, none of them would actually kind of say prices will go back to the start, right? That's a 43% nominal home price decline, right? Uh, and uh, the gentleman believed in it. He, he said that's where he believes it'll go. Okay, that that is somebody with conviction, right? See, I, I couldn't get anybody to say that on record. And when somebody says that, then you have to think about how does housing work differently, right? The banks won't even let you sell your homes that low, right? Without going into some distressed sale, right? Because it's not it's not necessarily like a commodity where prices could just collapse very shortly. Um, home prices, based on my affordability index, which was specifically designed for years 2020 to 2024. Right, uh, it is currently right now twenty percent overvalued on that. But I don't want to be the person that says, "Well, my model is twenty percent overvalued, so that means home prices are going to go down twenty percent, ten percent each year." You have to create an affordability index that adjusts to the variables of housing. Again, we saw some stabilization with. Uh, uh, housing when rates got to 5%, right? Stabilization means that when your levels of sales and inventory, all those variables have to be put together. It's grueling, tedious work, but that's how data analysts should do. So because my 23% five-year model was smashed and it's 43%, I go back to 20% gets you back down to an affordability levels with wages up. But what I'm going to do with my prediction is talk about where in the country that you see the most risk, uh, where in the country is actually normal in terms of supply, because I, I believe any any part of the U.S. that's back to 2019 inventory levels, they're perfectly fine. It's a traditional market. Again, that's what we want to see. We want to see housing get back to traditional markets so the massive housing inflation ends. But we're going to put that price growth model into a model that people could understand because I just don't want to say, well, I'm 20% overvalued, so home prices have to fall 20%. That, to me, historically has not worked well in the last 12 years without context. Uh, so uh, I will adjust everything to 2023 because guess what? It didn't work this year for me. You know, I had uh, my price growth model was uh, or price forecast was too low this year, right? It didn't because I saw 7%, you know, overvaluation. Inventory was low. I thought if the 10-year yield breaks above 194%, we'll see a cool down. 4 to 5% mortgage rates didn't do it. Okay. So that's already clicked in my head. Okay. That rate was not uh, big enough. 6 to 7% changes the narrative. And then we want to put that into something where people could understand the pricing because guess what? A lot of people thought prices crashed in 2020, 2021, and even 2022. People thought 10 to 15%. They just, a lot of people just throw up 10 to 15%, by the way. Does anybody notice that? Right. Uh, Is that just a safe thing? Can, just, can you I say just, that? I, people listen, go? I, I don't think people want to do the tedious work, 
right? So it's it's always 10, 15, 20%. Even here, like the reason I'm the only reason I'm using 20% right now is because it's 43% now and it's 20 that's 20% above my model. You have to find out what people are using. And then we're going to incorporate that into the 2023 forecast. Because I do one forecast at the end of each year, and then I just go with that. I don't do these revisions. Like people do these monthly revisions all the time. And it's a trend. That, that's perfectly fine. It's just that nobody knows what you're what you think is because you're just adjusting. Here we put it, it sticks, and then we work off the variables out there. So when I talked about we're 20% above what my affordability models, that's 100% correct, tied to what I have tied to years 2020 to 2024. But we'll get into the very nitty gritty details of this uh, 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 in the 2023 forecast. And uh, again, we always want to take all the intangible variables because right now, again, everybody assumed that supply. You know, the Wall Street people talked about that. They're like, I have no idea. Why isn't supply rising? I thought 5% would do it. I thought 6% will do it. And then I look at it and I'm thinking, because things have changed after 2010 and we have 10 years now of inventory channel data that nobody wants to look at because it's too boring, right? It's easy to say this and there are these tactics that we use over the years. We want to take everything all together so it encompasses something, right? Uh, hence why the America's Back Recovery Model, hey, listen, prices aren't crashing. There's a risk of an acceleration of prices, not price declining. Uh, and again, a lot of this is the credit channel. Why would an educated, positive cash flow homeowner sell to be homeless? Doesn't do that, right? Why would they sell to rent at a higher cost? Traditionally, not a normal thing to do, but you can make some cases. We want to put everything together tied to sales, inventory rates, affordability index. I know it's it's hideous. It's grueling. It's thing. But that, to me, gives a better picture than just slapping. Oh, 10% decline, 15, 20. 10, 15 per 20. 10, 15, 20. You see it all the time. Go look at it. It's like nice. It's not. It's not eight point seven seconds. Like literally, my price forecast for twenty twenty two was five point two to six point seven percent based on all these things. Nobody wants to do that. They just ten, fifteen, twenty, boom. Leave me alone. This is what we have you for, Logan. You get to do the boring, tedious work and tell us what it's going to look like. Yeah, this and, is, and, and this I can tell. Really I, I, I I explained this to the people. I said I I knew I knew what I got wrong on my forecast. Um, the acceleration of pricing really took on January, February, and March, right? The growth rate of uh, bidding wars actually accelerated uh, the, the first three months. And we were heading toward 20, 22 to 27% home price growth at that point. We were heading that way. It's like, like when, people, when, when people say, what's the savagely unhealthy? February, that we were heading to, you know, we had to break this. Uh, thankfully, the Federal Reserve saw literally the same things I saw. Just like, oh God, we're not doing this anymore. Crush it, right? We got it. We got to put you know home sellers, builders, and investors on their ass because we need to get some kind of stabilization back here. So we work off of those. But um, four to five percent mortgage rates didn't do it, right? And that that's where that's where I got my wrongs. We we were having just a traditional slowdown when rates when the ten year yield broke above one point nine four percent. And if you're looking for bigger price deceleration, you need that four to five percent mortgage. Now, six to seven percent did it right. That that is a that is a noticeable much higher shift uh, in mortgage rates. But uh, I think they're a little bit mindful that they're not seeing the inventory growth. I know some of the Fed people talked about that yesterday. That they would traditionally see it again. That's there. There's a whole historical 
decade work here on how inventory channels have worked uh, post 2012. And it's just not, it's just not a very sexy topic, right? So uh, that's what we're here for. We believe boring and balance is good. We want to be the detective, not the troll and economics done right should be boring. <laughs> well, okay. So, you know, so we talked about what the Fed pivot means. We have been in, uh, you declared housing in a recession this summer, correct? Um, given what you look at for 2023, do you see housing coming out of that recession in 2023? Well, housing goes into the recession first. It also leaves the recession first. So it is the rate variable at this point, right? It's not so much short-term rates have to go back to zero, right? We don't need the Fed to cut back to zero. It's long-term uh, bond yields and mortgage rates. Uh, it, it, and it's, this is something that I talked on CNBC a few months ago. Nothing's going to materially change in housing until rates fall. And it's not so much short-term rates, it's long-term rates, right? Uh, uh, you know, when we had zero interest rate policy in 2013, Mortgage rates went up one percent, even though the Fed didn't do anything, right? So you can have downward moves and not have the Fed uh, 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 cutting rates. You just need duration, and that's where I think when you have a job loss recession and the Fed starts cutting, it firms up the duration to the downside, right? And that'll be the secondary of the pivot move, right? Uh, um, the labor market is 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 broken, and now you know. The Federal Reserve has lost its main talking point. But again, the credit channels are still looking good. I know a lot of people look at nominal credit card growth debt and they say, listen, people have used nominal credit card growth debt since 2010 to be a recession. It never worked one time, right? Net interest expenses rising for households is a valid preface, okay? That happens. But remember, we had... Uh, uh, we had an expansion with rising uh, rates uh, during the housing bubble years, but that credit expansion was a falsified credit expansion. So we're not going to see like booming credit expansion anymore in that sense. Credit card growth can grow, but that net interest starts to bite. When it starts to bite, the consumer spends less. When they spend less, more people have to lay people off. That's their game plan. That's the pain they want when they talk about we need more pain for American citizens. Uh, if we if we, if the banks make more money charging higher interests that takes more pain out of their disposable incomes and they have to borrow more to offset that over time that does its uh uh damage but here again retail sales still trending positive it's nothing booming anymore uh especially adjusting to inflation but it's it's still keeping everything afloat a majority of all people are working in america uh there's no dwarves that are sitting in caves ready to come out to the labor force and 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 flood the market with labor the labor force participation rate which i think is one of the worst data lines we use in in us economics it's still very low because guess what it's not because americans are sitting at home since 2000 not wanting to work most americans always work they work during a pandemic the people that said these people were lazy were were that was completely wrong the best jobs numbers we ever had in U.S. history all had unemployment benefits, giving six hundred dollars extra per week, whatever. It's it's we we are always working, right? Uh, we are always majority always working. This notion of ninety six million people not working is all Mickey Mouse garbage stuff, right? So uh, you're not getting anybody coming to the rescue here. So uh, remember that in the next job loss recession, this is something that I was talking with the Wall Street people about. What happened with COVID is that 
When COVID happened and people saw 20 to 30 million people unemployed, they naturally thought home sales are crashing and there's no way housing is done for many, many years because the recession will be forever. We had 133 million people working, right? So housing is disproportionately favored. How I call it, the, the, the system is rigged for keeping prices up, right? So that workforce, we have over 150 million people working out. If you, you lose a couple of million service sector workers, right, that don't, don't own homes, that doesn't impact the housing sector on the demand side or the home seller that becomes a buyer. It impacts the rental market much more disproportionately. But then you have 150 million people that their buying power just increased, right? That's how you should look at housing. Why does the Fed cut rates or lower rates help the economy? Credit expansion. That's what we are. We are a society of credit expansion. So the cost of credit becomes less, right? That's how you get the economy to, to do better. Well, how do you break economy down? You raise the cost of credit expansion and that deteriorates. That's why I say rates matter, even though they're historically low. When that 1.94% level broke, boom, that was it. Housing market was, was changed. Um, so that's what we're working with. We'll get to that part you know, uh, uh, when the labor market breaks. But as of now, Labor market is still good. The honey badger labor market does not care, right? It, it does everything. not care. So let me ask you this last question. We just have uh, like a minute left, but you know what? What should we be looking for the last week of November of 2022 that will show us what's going to happen in 2023? What are the most important things to pay attention to? The price of turkey and how much. They're- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, for me right now, you know, rates falling just a little bit from, um, you know, above seven. See how the weekly purchase application data are, are holding up. I'm not a big weekly person. Uh, I like the year over year data more than the weeklies. But we did see two positive back to back weeks. Uh, the new home sales report will come out uh, uh, on Wednesday. So when this airs, it'll already be out. Uh, you want to keep an eye on how many. Uh, new homes are available. How many are on construction? Right uh, over time. Again, we we want shelter inflation to go down because when rent inflation goes down, the Fed will be more accommodative about that. So uh, for this week, you want to keep an eye on the new home sales report, see how many how many homes are left, and then also purchase application data. The seasonal factors are terrible, so uh, you always take a grain of salt with anything around a holiday. Uh, for two weeks, right? The week before, the week after, the, the data line gets a little bit messed up. But uh, we're kind of toward the end of the um, uh, inventory channels for housing. We saw another decline uh, week to week. That's the normal seasonal declines that we see uh, uh, at this period of time. So the prep is always look at purchase application data and see how it reacts to lower rates. Uh, and so far, we've seen uh, two two positive weeks but it needs to be a sustained longer term trend. That's why and you have to put the context of we're working from a very low bar right now, too. Right. So it's nothing. It's not that big of a deal. Logan, thank you, as always, for coming on and giving us your insight about this. We will have you on again in a, in a few days after the holidays. So thank you so much. It is 
My pleasure, Sarah Wheeler, and happy nine-year anniversary. This is your ninth year at Housing Wire, and uh, uh, they have been blessed to have such a wonderful person be working in this. Uh, thank you so much. You know what? I have loved working here. I love my job. Housing Wire has given me so much opportunity, and it's just been, you know, I really believe in our mission to move markets forward, and it has been so much fun. And part of that has been the interaction with you. And, uh, you know, I've known you. You've been a, a friend of Housing Wire for years, but glad to have you as our lead analyst. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or... How is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.